About 10 years ago, over the 4th of July weekend, a group of motorcyclists gathered in rural New York to ride in protest against a New York state law that requires motorcycle riders to wear a helmet. One of those riding in protest was a 55-year-old man from Parrish, New York. During the ride, police say that his 1983 Harley-Davidson spun out of control and he flew headfirst over the handlebars. His head struck the pavement and his skull was fractured. He was later pronounced dead at the hospital. The police and the doctor treating the man say afterward that if he had been wearing a helmet, he more than likely would have survived the accident. I'm not concerned today whether you are for or against motorcycle helmet laws. I don't have a dog in that fight. and I don't fight dogs anyway. But the reality is very ironic. The man died protesting a law that if he had obeyed it, almost certainly would have saved his life. We live in a culture that has become very adverse to commands. The reality is that we don't like to be told what to do, do we? Hence, I just told you to do something to respond, and you didn't do it, right? My point is proved. We like suggestions, or frankly, we like people to simply mind their own business and to leave us alone. And yet, the Bible is full of commands. So what are we supposed to do with this? And part of the problem is what Christianity and faith in general have become in America. A Christian researcher by the name of Christian Smith Summarize perceptions about God about are prevalent in the church and contemporary culture. He said that basically most people who are Christians today simply believe in what he calls moral therapeutic deism. Moral meaning that God wants us to be nice and he wants us to obey most of the rules. Therapeutic meaning God wants us to be happy and deism meaning God really isn't all that involved in our lives, though he can choose to be from time to time. This view of God is also referred to as the Santa Claus God because he shows up about once a year. He cares about whether you've been naughty or nice, but even if you've been a little bit naughty, you're still going to get some type of present, aren't you? And unfortunately, what happens with this is that we have a view of God that becomes very watered down and a view of morality that frankly isn't even very moral at all. So if we're going to have a true view of God, what do we do with these commandments that we see in Scripture? What do we do primarily with the Ten Commands that we'll talk about today, but with all the commands of God that we see in Scripture? I'm going to suggest to you today that the real secret to understanding what to do with the Ten Commandments and what they're all about is to see what comes before the Ten Commandments and to see what comes after the Ten Commandments. But before we do that, we need to take a look and to see what are actually in the Ten Commandments themselves? What are these commandments all about? Are they really about our protection and our good? Well, let's go through the list of commandments. Commandment number one starts off with, You shall have no other gods before me. You see, the first commandment isn't about what we consider to be morality as much as it is where our morality comes from. We have one God. He is a good God. And if we take Him out of the picture, then it's just a free-for-all, isn't it? 
You believe what you want to believe. I believe what I want to believe. Think about it. If we don't have Jesus in the picture, then it's just anything you want to do. Whatever you want to do is fine. But commandment number one is you shall have no other gods before me. Several years ago, uh, there were two atheists who wanted to rewrite the Ten Commandments. And so they set out on this quest to do so. They had ten non-commandments contests which atheists were asked to give modern alternatives. They offered a $10,000 prize for this, and they drew more than 2,800 submissions. And out of them, they had 13 judges who selected the 10 best commandments according to them. Would you be surprised to know that there's not any thou shalt not among them? It never says anything about murder or stealing or adultery. Although it does have some version of the golden rule, which would cover some of those crimes. But among the ten that made the list were, be open-minded and willing to alter your beliefs with new evidence. God is not necessary to be a good person or to live a full and meaningful life. And finally, and probably most terrifyingly, there is no one right way to live. Now, I don't know about you, but if I had to choose between there is no one right way to live and thou shalt not murder, I think I'm going to go with the murder one. What do you think? But this is why placing God at the center of our faith is so important. We're not trying to create good moral people. We're trying to create followers of Jesus Christ. Our morality stems from that. But if we ever lose sight of our morality, we will be in grave trouble. Because being a good person just doesn't work. Because our definition of good changes every 15 years or so according to whatever the next generation comes up with. We see it happening today, don't we? The next generation just says we should do this, so we should do this. Or this is now right. Even though it's never been right before in our history, now this should be right. This is why commandment one, you shall have no other gods before me, is so important. Commandment number two. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth below or beneath in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. This is about idolatry. We think that's easy enough, but we don't have idols in our culture. Well, unfortunately, when we look at Colossians 3, 5, we read that it says that covet, when we covet something, that is idolatry. And we covet a lot in our culture, don't we? Think of all the advertisements that are waved before our eyes, of all the things that will make us happy if we would just have them, if we would just be able to have them for a little bit, whether it be a home, whether it be a new vehicle, whether it be new clothes to wear. All those things are selling us on something. They're trying to give us to believe in idolatry. I was at a restaurant the other day, and on my way back to the restroom, I started looking at the collection of pictures on the wall. They were all of iconic rock stars or movie stars when they were at their heyday. For example, I saw Jimi Hendrix at Woodstock, Freddie Mercury at Wembley Stadium, all in their prime, all at their best, all at their highest moment. As I started looking around at all the pictures that were in the restaurant, I realized that everybody in that, well, not everybody, but about half of them that were on the walls all died a very young age. And all of them died of either an STD, 
or they died of a drug overdose. That was it. Those are our idols. Those are our icons. Those are the ones who we tend to look to for the waves of culture. When you think about it, it's kind of ridiculous. Why should we care what some of these people think about things? Why do we care what the lead singer of a rock band thinks about sexuality? Why does that really matter? What would they know? Or why should we think that a TV host thinks certain views about truth or what should be truth or what should not be truth? Just because they have a platform does not make them an expert. Or why should we think about what Kim Kardashian thinks about, well, anything? And so we wind up with an image of God that we limit God to being some type of thing or a God who just gives us things and winds up looking a lot more like ourselves than actually looking like God. Commandment number three, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. This is not just talking about cussing or swearing or using the Lord's name in vain. It's about misrepresenting God. And so if you see a TV preacher on TV saying that God told him that he needs to have his own private airplane, for example, this, I'm using real examples here too, and you should send him money so that he can raise hundreds of millions of dollars in some cases for his private airplane. That would be a misrepresentation of God. That would be saying this is something that, that is misrepresenting what God really wants. Commandment number four, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Now this isn't just saying take a day off. It's so much more than that. You remember that when the Israelites were in Egypt, when they were slaves, God commanded Pharaoh, the first thing God commanded was to let them go for a day and worship. Worship recenters who we are. And when we commit having a day where we are to worship, that's vitally important. Some of you might be able to remember the days when restaurants all closed down on Sundays and pretty much nothing was open on Sundays. And while I don't think we're ever going to get back to that, or even if we should try to do so, the reality is, is that Sundays have become so secularized that church is just a suggestion. Worshiping is not something that we say that we need as much as it's just one choice of what you can do on a Sunday. What we're saying, in essence, is we have a lot of other gods that may just be as important as worshiping God in a church. And so commandment number four is to remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. We look back not only to the Israelites when they were command, God commanded them to worship out in the desert, but we also look back to the seven days of creation and see that God rested. And today we look forward to Resurrection Sunday. The church made Sunday their Sabbath because of the reality that the resurrection of Jesus Christ has reset everything. This is the day we come to worship because the resurrection of Jesus Christ has changed everything for us. And so we see the first four commandments are about our relationship with God. But then we see the next six of the Ten Commandments, the final six, are about how we are to treat one another. Commandment number five says to honor your mother and father, your father and mother, 
so that you may live long in the land your God is giving you. I love this because it says, so that you may live long in the land your Lord God is giving you. That's a really nice way of saying, so your mom and dad don't kill you, son. But in all seriousness, honoring the previous generation is something that we have radically forgotten in our culture. We have chosen instead to worship youth. This is not something that is healthy for a culture because let's face it, while we always want to hear ideas from young people, the reality is, is that we really want to hear from those with life experience and to respect what that brings to the table. And so the church has something very different to offer here. Rather than writing off older people as people who don't know any better, people who don't know the latest fads, we say, there's been through a lot of life. They're the ones who brought us into this world. We should bring some respect for that. Commandment number six, you shall not murder. Any objections? Commandment number seven, you shall not commit adultery. Think about a world where basic marriage vows were not upheld. Think about where that's the norm and not the exception. But you know, with these two commandments, you should not murder and commit adultery, Jesus goes on to talk to us about a deeper issue in the Sermon on the Mount, doesn't he? He tells us that there are deeper matters of heart that are at work here. That being angry with your brother is basically the same thing as murdering them. Maybe not in the state of Ohio in their eyes, but certainly in the eyes of our hearts that we do something very evil when we choose to prolong, have prolonged anger towards others. And he tells us that not only is adultery wrong, but lusting over someone else is a bad thing as well. It's a sin. Why? Because we're dehumanizing them. Rather than seeing them as a fellow brother or sister in the kingdom of God, we're seeing them as an object that we simply want to derive pleasure from. Commandment number eight, you shall not steal. Basic property rights are essential to a good and decent society. But it's not just you shouldn't steal somebody that somebody has, but you need to treat people fairly as well when we fully understand what this means. We shouldn't be people who are known for ripping people off by any means. We should always be honest. Which leads us to number nine. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. We are to be a people of truth. If we are anything today, we are a people of half-truths, aren't we? All you have to do is turn on the TV and watch any political commentary on either side of the aisle, and you would see that they care about destroying the people on the other side of the aisle. This is dangerous. This is something that we should not dive into and be a deep part of this type of division, because the reality is, is while they have half-truths, the reality is, is that the half-truths can be the greatest lies because they suck us in and they control us. We must be very careful in this land of falsehoods to be a people of truth, to be a people of honesty, to be a people who honor other people by speaking truthfully and honestly and not lying or gossiping. And finally, commandment number 10, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or his donkey which reads kind of awkwardly in the King James Version when you read it. Didn't really keep up with culture on that one very well. Or anything that belongs to your neighbor. And so we understand that this idea that coveting is idolatry. That wanting what our neighbor has is never a healthy thing. 
that we need to learn to be content in what we have. And man, like I said earlier, this is so extremely difficult in our world that tells us that more is always better. But as I said earlier, if we want to understand the Ten Commandments, we must understand what came before and after them. So let's take a look at Exodus 20, at the two verses, the two short verses that came right before the Ten Commandments. Here's what it says. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And so here's what we see before, is that God is a good God. He is a God who rescued us. So in other words, He is not saying to, these, to us, if you do these things, you will be saved. What He's saying is, because I already saved you, I want you to live in this way. Because I'm a good God, I showed you, I saved you, I also have these good commandments for you. And so, I want to suggest to you today that God saved us from slavery so that we could be His sons and daughters. For us, it wasn't just being saved from uh, physical slavery like the Egyptians were, but literally it was us being saved from sin and death. That God has saved us from all these things because He's a good God. And now because He's a good God, He doesn't just say, live however you want to live, but He says, here is the way that I created you to live best. Here is how to have the best version of yourself, is to follow the commandments that I give to you. So God saved us from slavery so we could be His sons and daughters. And God gave us His law so that we could live like His sons and daughters, not as slaves. So the question is, is do you want to live like a slave or do you want to live like God's sons and daughters? Because his commandments are not written to burden us, but to help set us free. And then after, after the Ten Commandments, there's actually two lists of Ten Commandments. One is in Exodus 20, the other is in Deuteronomy, the fifth chapter And when Moses is in his swan song here, after he gives the Ten Commandments again, he's about to die. It's his last message for all of Israel. And here's what's written down. So be careful to do what the Lord your God has commanded you. Do not turn aside to the right or to the left. Walk in obedience to all the Lord your God has commanded you so that you may live and prosper and prolong your days. Do you know how hard it is to read that and not say live long and prosper? So that you may live and prosper and prolong your days in the land that you will possess. So what we see here is that this is for a reason. God's law is for our own good. God wants us to thrive as human beings. He wants us to live a very full life. John, it talks about in the Gospel of John, Jesus says, I created you, I've come so that you may have life and have it more abundantly. So God's law is for our own good. And finally, just after that passage in Deuteronomy 6, it's almost like Moses says, hey guys, I know I gave you ten commandments, but there's one that I forgot, one that's more important than any of these. Here's what he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Man, that's one right there that really sums up all ten of them, isn't it? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Keeping God's commands is the most biblical way that we show our love for him. In fact, in John 14, 15, it says, if you love me, keep my commands. If you love me, keep my commands. So it all really boils down to this. God gave us these commands because he loves us. And we follow God's commands because we love him. Did you hear that? God gave us these commands because he loves us. But we follow God's commands because we love him. I want to ask you today, what's your view of God's laws? I want to give you three L's as an option. First one is legalistic. Are God's laws just a checklist for you to try to check off the best that you can? Sometimes that means that you're trying to earn your way into God's love. Sometimes that means that you're scorning others who don't make the checklist. Do you have a legalistic view of God's laws? Or secondly, do you have a loose view of God's laws? You know, you like to keep them whenever you can, but the reality is, is none of us are going to keep them all, so it's not a big deal. I'm just going to live the way that I want to live. If your ways are legalistic or loose, let me give you a third option, which is love. We view keeping God's commands as one of the ways that we love him. We know that what he has written is good for us. He has saved us from our sins. He has saved us from death. And now following his commands are a way that we show our love for him. This last year, uh, Kristen got me um, a Father's Day gift that uh, I have up here in this bag. Are you ready to see what this is? It's not from the Lego store. I wish it was. And fortunately, she did not put this in the Lego store bag. Otherwise, I would have been very disappointed. This right here is a bike helmet. This was my Father's Day gift. And to be honest with you, my first thought of this was this is the crappiest Father's Day gift I've ever received. But then I started to remember back, my wife is a physical therapist who has worked for many years in trauma settings where she has helped people who have wrecked cars or bikes or motorcycles, help them get their life back together afterwards. She knows a lot about brain trauma and about what that happens in the rest, what happens in the rest of your body as a result. I remember back to earlier this year before Father's Day, we were on a bike ride. It was the four of us. I was leading the way, and my kids always ask me, how come daddy doesn't wear a helmet? It's like, well, I didn't, wasn't raised with one. I don't have a good comeback for it. I wasn't raised with airbags either, but I don't rip those out of the car. And while we were riding along on this paved trail, we were going pretty quick, and we were going downhill, and we were going through a tunnel just outside of Newark over there. And uh, there, just inside the tunnel, was an area where there had been a washout, where sand had washed down and was covering the path about three inches deep. And if you've ever hit sand on your bike when you're going on pavement, 
it just absolutely grabs your tire. And I saw it coming, and I, I hit my rear brake, because I know not to hit my, I don't use my front brake ever, because I've done that before. I've gone on that ride, right? Um, and, and so I, I tried to get slowed down the best I could, but I just had to hit it. And I hit it straight, and I was able to keep my bike upright. But right behind me, my son, uh, he, he hit it harder than I did. Uh, and he lost control and took quite a spill on the bike path. He wound up being okay. He wasn't fine, but he was okay. But I think about what my wife was trying to send to me with this message. Do you think she was trying to tell me, Dustin, you need to be legalistic <laughs> and wear this helmet? Or do you think she was trying to tell me, Dustin, I want you to live? I want you to be healthy. I want the best version of you. You know, I think about it. I don't put that bike helmet on all the time whenever I'm taking a short ride around the neighborhood or something like that. But it makes a lot of sense. I know what she's trying to do for me. She's trying to keep me healthy for as long as she can. She doesn't want to be wiping up my drool for the rest of her life. But, you know, when God gives us his commands, they might not seem like much of a gift either. It might not be something that we celebrate when we learn something new in Scripture. But what if God's commands save your life? What if God's commands save your family? What if God's commands can do something to reach your neighbors in love? And so I think really what God is saying to us in his commandments, when he gives us his commandments, he might as well be saying this. Church, I want you to live. I want you to be healthy. I want the best version of you. So how's your heart towards God's commands? We may not be rejoicing at every command that we hear. But I promise you, every one of his commands have your best in mind. Every one of his commands are given to us so that we may live and have life to the fullest. And that church, those are commands that are worth keeping. Amen? Father, we come to you as people who are hard-hearted and stubborn, um, we come by it honestly as human beings, and we acknowledge that we don't like to be told what to do, even by you, our good and gracious creator. Forgive us and heal us of our stubbornness, Lord. Lord, we confess to you how often we have been legalistic with our commands, with your commands, and how often we've been loose with them, instead of seeing these things as actions of love. Forgive us and heal us. Jesus, we recognize that just as God the Father set Israel free, you have set us free. You have set us free from our sins. You have set us free from death. And so we ask that we might love you by keeping your commands in all things. We pray that we would know that we are not doing so to earn your love because we already have your unconditional love. But we ask that we would be doing so simply out of our love for you and our desire to love you fully. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.